So it's been quite a tumultuous, um, I don't know, time for everybody out there. Uh, you know, the last 10-ish, 11 months have not been super fun in the world, Uh uh, in case anyone is listening to this from the way distant future where hopefully things are much nicer, we've been dealing with a pandemic. So, yeah, that kind of has sucked. But uh, in America, the past four years have also been interesting. Uh, I think we can all agree that it's been tumultuous, no matter what side of the aisle you like to live on. Uh, it's been a little weird for politics lately. I'm not going to name names, but it's been weird. And, you know, this 2021, we're staring down a, a, a new administration, as it were. And uh, Kelly and I wanted to commemorate such a thing with uh, this week's movie, which is The American President, which, you know, in the 90s, under certain presidents, was also not super respected at all times either. Uh, there were some impeachments. There were some uh, scandals. Uh, you know, history repeats itself. So this week we were hoping to check out a film that kind of cleansed the palate for uh, a new era, as it were. And uh, The American President is a film by Rob Reiner, the director, and the screenwriter is Aaron Sorkin. And it's, it's the rom-com version of The American Presidency, which, you know... This is why we love rom-coms. It makes things warm and fluffy. And, you know, we wish the world was a little warm and fluffly, fluffly, fluffly as often as possible. So we had a lot of fun this week. Uh, hopefully you've seen the movie. If not, check out the movie. It's a great, great time. But uh, here we go. It's The American President. Hey! This is a podcast, the podcast you are listening to. He is the Ryan, he's the Ryan, and he needs hailing. Oh, thanks. Um, I will also hail you, Kelly McCrillis. Hail to the me, because I am great and I need hailing. Hail! Welcome, everybody, to another episode of A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. You've got me, your um, co-president, Kelly McCrillis. And I'm co-vice president, Ryan Grace. Wait, who's my co-president? Um, Barack Obama. Oh, lucky me. Because <laughs> he's like, you know, you probably need some help. Yeah, no, I, I could really use the assistance um, being the new president of these podcasts of the United States of America. Actually, speaking of presidents, I did want to brag about this. Last week um, in our timeline, this will be a different week for people listening, but last week... Last week was inauguration. Yeah, last yeah. week Joe Biden got inaugurated. Um, that's inaugurated. The, yeah, inaugurated. He is the inaugurator. Uh, I, the same day that he got inaugurated... <laughs> I became the president of our HOA association, our homeowners association association. Cue Fraser Crane reference here. Number seven. I uh, thought you were already the president. I was on the board, but now I'm the president. So Who, okay. I can sympathize with it's you like to be president. Did you run? Is that why your neighbors give you eggs? Ryan, are you taking bribes already? I'm getting bribes. Well, here's a question. Just like all good presidents get. Um... <laughs> That's what it's like. That is what's wrong with our country. <laughs> uh, 
Um, what can you, wait a little, little bit. Um, wh- how did you get? Okay, did you? Because depose- no one else wanted to do it. <laughs> oh, it's not like you deposed it. They gave it up willingly. No, and my first order of business is figuring out the people who are throwing the trash in the wrong compartment of the trash. <laughs> That's what it's like, baby. We it's will good to be in the this apartment. <laughs> in this apartment complex and every other, make sure the trash is thrown away. We don't do it because it's hard, but because it's gross. <laughs> Um, what are we watching this week? The American President, starring America's favorite president, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas, whose name is Andrew Shepard in this. Um, I like a character who can be named in kind of a, a Harry Potter sense where their their job title is in their name, but it kind of goes under the radar. Like in, uh, what's, what's the game with uh, Freeman in it? Freeman? Yeah. It, it was in the orange box. Huh? Remember the orange box that had like the original portal Half-Life? and Half-Life? Half-Life. Yeah, yeah. His name's Freeman. He's mm-hmm. like the free man. Oh, right. Of course. And, you know, Andrew Shepard is the shepherd. Right. Because he's the president, I guess. Yeah, he's shepherding America's romantics. Um, and because we're watching the American president today, or we have watched Not to be confused with the Cambodian president or. The... Is that a good movie? No. <laughs> Darker? But uh, the French president, that was a sexy one. Um, the German president, very efficient. Very orderly. The British president was kind of confusing because they don't have them there. Uh, that was the president of the British um, Tea Club. Right. Um, so in, in, in honor of today's most auspicious um, two-week-late inauguration your baby's playing in the background i have a game for you yeah ryan are you ready to play let's play who is that ruling class couple Uh ryan i'm sure you remember but just so the listeners know can you tell them the rules of this game i'm gonna hear about the couple and I'm going to tell you who that couple is. Well, I'm going to give you clues. Yeah, and then I'll decide who the couple is from the clues. Right. And if you can't guess before the last clue... I die. No. No, it's not that kind of podcast. Oh. You lose honor. Honor for your house. Out of our two Game of Thronesian houses. Yeah, this is Game of Thrones light because it's only honor that <laughs> yeah, I'm losing. Yeah, nobody dies. Not my head. No, if no it worries. Was, if it was full Game of Thrones, I'd be losing my head and my honor. And you can gain it back. Right, okay. Right, right. Um, the first couple... <clears throat> of this and and I, I say like ruling class couples like there's um you know we're doing a movie about a president and so at least one person in the couple has to be kind of a a leader of a, a group of some kind okay okay the first couple meet in the produce section of a market okay do you have uh, a guess no okay produce section <clears throat> second clue she is a cat lover. Oh, cat lover. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Produce section, cat lover. Cat! <laughs> her dad is trying to get her to marry someone more in her station. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She would. She would not want to do that. I probably described every single rom-com with a, a ruling class person. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's not the Christmas Prince. 
Mm-mm. And I'm giving you five clues oh, okay, on this okay. one. So, so you get one we more. We can check before. off not Christmas Prince. No. Okay. He has a magical, and I use that word literally, wingman. Okay. Okay. Do you have a guess? Is it Aladdin? It is yes. Aladdin! Yes! 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 Now, now do you know why I said cat person? Uh, because of Raja? Good job! That's a, that's the cat's name, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You know more about Disney than I gave you credit for. I like I like that Aladdin. My no, la- my last my last clue was gonna be he shows her a whole new world. Oh, okay, that would yeah. Be. But you were always a Beauty and the Beast kid. I mean, I liked both, but, but Beauty and the Beast go-to. I did see more times. That yeah. was your like if it was like sick day and you had to throw on a Disney VHS, it's Beauty and the Beast. Okay, uh, if I'm you need to uh, finish these lyrics for me, okay? Okay, Are you ready? Alibaba had them up in a row. No, I... <laughs> 40 thieves. <laughs> okay. I wasn't uh, that good. Well, I mean, you were more into instrumentation than lyrics. That's true. Um, okay, second couple. Okay. They meet in a garden. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Not the Christmas <laughs> prince. <laughs> um, her father... Disproves of the relationship. Oh my god, this is going to be a clue in every one, isn't it? It is. Oh my gosh, that's like a nothing clue then. Well, I mean, it's it's essential. Well, then you should give me five. Okay, this one also has five. Okay. Most of the movie, they're spent apart. Mm. And this is a two-part clue. Another woman has the hots for him. Not cool, lady. Not cool. I mean, yes. Yeah, there's nothing illegal about having the hots for someone. Well, she wants that royal blood. Royal blood. Um. Oh, is it? No, it's not. It's not made of honor. It's not Scottish, right? <laughs> you just heard me do the Kevin McKidd voice. <laughs> is it Kevin McKidd? No, I. I think he's a laird, but um, no, it's not. Okay. Fourth clue. She would be making a giant sacrifice if she were to be with him. Is he's he's the royalty though? I didn't say. Oh, you just assumed. Oh, oh. You made a ba- You made an ass out of both you and, and the game. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Big sacrifice. Huge. Huge. Okay. Are there any more clues? <laughs> yeah, there's one more, but you lose honor. Uh, hit me. They are both great with a blade. I hope you heard my child in the background. <laughs> he knows the answer. They're both great with the blade. Now I'm going to reread these, okay? Okay, met in the garden. They meet in a garden. I'm going to give you a kind of a sixth addendum clue. However, their meeting in this story happens on a bridge. Is it... Her father disapproves. Of course. Most of the movie they are spent apart and another woman has the hots for him. She would be making a giant sacrifice... If she were to be with him, and they are both good with a blade. Both good with a blade. You gotta give me a second. Because you can cut out the seconds. Oh, I mean, I'll give you as many seconds as you need. Both good with a blade. <laughs> I want to say, and this is not right, part of me wants to say King Arthur. It's on your shelf. Dang it! not king arthur that's even more embarrassing 
both good with a blade. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see, looking at my shelf, my neighbor Totoro? Wait, wait. Want an okay? No. Oh, they they have blades. They both have blades. Uh, don't they? That's close. That that could be an alternative answer. No, she doesn't have a dad. She in would the be movie. making a huge sacrifice. She wouldn't have her direwolf thingy if she married that well, she has guy. A, she has a mom. Um, I give up. What is it? It's Arwen and Aragorn from The Lord of the Rings. Ah, of course, of course, they're both good with the blade. I was thinking of Book Arwen, and that's not totally explained, so that's why I was lost. I was thinking of Book Arwen. They don't, they don't explicate that. Wait, much. you were thinking of Book Arwen? No. <laughs> but can I get a half point for Princess Mononoke for be for meeting half of your criteria? No, it does. No. Okay. He. He's okay with a blade, but he's more of an archer. That's true. Yeah. I mean, he has a blade, but... And she wouldn't be making a huge sacrifice if she were to be with him. Plus, they're barely a romantic couple. Yeah, but... Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, but Shane. It's fair. It's fair. Uh, last one. Okay? okay. He's in a band. Yeah. Rock and roll. She is his sister's best friend. Of course. Is that it? No, you got oh. more. He fixes her car. Princess Diaries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I only had four for that one because I'm like, <laughs> we did this movie and I just made this up like right before I came over and I couldn't think of another like couple that wasn't a Disney one. So. And I will say that movie was fresh on my head because I was listening to Movies That Raised Us podcast and mm -hmm. they just did Princess Diaries. Oh, really? Nice. And they were harping on the same things that we were harping on because they were talking about how it's... Um, Jason Schwartzman's brother, who was actually yeah. in a band. Rooney. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just remember that. I'm like, oh, yeah. Kelly explained that to me months ago that the, the those guys were actually musicians. My last clue was he gives or she gives him an M&M pizza. That would have. Yeah, yeah, that would have given it away. That would have really wouldn't, wouldn't done it. But I was like, does Brian's only seen this movie once? Would he remember? And your mind is like a steel trap. No, I've seen it several times now. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, yeah. In our episode, you were like, "Yeah, I saw that in high school." I need to add it to the shelf. Um, that might be one of the few movies I own that you don't. Oh, I'll steal it from your hands. No, <laughs> what? <laughs> don't. You said you needed more space. Um, no, because I got rid of all of my DVD. This is something I kind of regret. I got rid of all of my DVD slash Blu-ray boxes and put them all in like one of those things that you found in everybody's car in the Wait, early two thousands. You have it. You have all your discs in a CD magazine, but you got rid of the cases. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, the collector in me. Feels... I mean, what would you? What What would I do with them? I don't know. Um. Well, Ryan. We've we've gone through these celebrity couples. Now it's time for you to regale me with un story. Yeah, let, me, let me tell you a story. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. So... This is the song of President Andrew Shepard, Democrat. Now, we've done the song. Da -dum, da -da -dum, da -dum. Oh, wait. <laughs> Should we play that in the background right yeah. now? Uh, 
he's in the near the end of his first term and he's getting ready for his re-election campaign mm. and he's he's readying his big uh crime reform bill or gun reform bill or whatever you want to call it and he's like oh we got to be careful we're doing really good in the polls so we don't want to like you know mess things up too much but michael j fox is like we got to go hard we got to go all in on this crime bill and michael doug's just like chill my babies chill be cool my babies and michael j fox is his domestic advisor yeah and he's he's the one who's really um putting the fire to the ass is that correct <laughs> i'm sorry i'm really distracted by your baby laughing right oh, he's now. so cute uh but he's really michael j fox is like come on this is why we're in the white house to do great big things right right and we uh we got his whole cabinet um which is made up of michael j fox michael j douglas <laughs> yeah michael <laughs> j douglas um we've got robin who is um his press secretary, yep. um, who's played by somebody I didn't recognize, um, Anna Devereux Smith. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. very good. And then, of course, Martin Sheen, who also is his pres- vice president. Also President Bartlett. <laughs> yeah, President Bartlett, who this movie um, is directed by Rob Reiner, one of our favorites, and written by Aaron Sorkin, who would go on five years later to make The West Wing, which would cast his now vice president in this film as the president. I don't, I, he, I don't think he's the vice president. I think he's chief of staff. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's chief of staff. Oh, well, who's the vice president? Did we just not get that person? Unsolved Mystery. Yes. Uh, so he's his chief of staff. Not only his chief of staff, I guess, but his best friend. Yeah, best man at the wedding. Best man at the wedding. Now, I, I'm sorry to interrupt... Maybe we'll get back to this. Uh, why don't you continue with the story? Oh, okay. Uh, well, that's that's kind of where, where President, I want to say President Bartlett, President Shepard is at, yeah. um, is getting ready for A, the re-election, and B, to put push through this uh, crime bill. And, and what's what's his what's his personality like? Uh, he's very Harrison Ford about things. He's very presidential, very suave, but also down to earth. Yeah. Always cracking jokes, but very poised. And uh-huh. very confident. Very, very confident. Very assured. Even when he's awkward, he's confident. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's a time later on that we'll we'll talk about where he initiates a call and asks somebody out. And he's awkward, but he kind of pushes through the awkwardness because he has a a dedicated confidence. I think you used the right word there. Yeah. And um, you know, we'll we'll get into this later. Obviously, in today's world, it's it's such a striking contrast to Trump. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, we've got Biden coming in and, you know, Biden is Biden. He's not he's he doesn't really reminisce of President Shepard. <laughs> no, know. I wouldn't say so. But uh, Obama's probably our coolest president, but not cool in a Michael Douglas way, cool in a different way. Yeah, I would think Michael Douglas is um, he's he's got like strong dad vibes, but like cool dad yeah, and I, I just I don't think there's any actually any other presidents that have the precedent of this president. Yeah, like he he references Woodrow Wilson at one point in time as being one of the only other presidents who dated. Yeah, um, and he kind of like d- defines the plot of this movie by saying, "What he dated somebody, and then you know he got married, and and then had kids, and and he did all of that while you know, making the United Nations, not the United Nations, League of Nations, League of Nations." And uh, I th- like, there's just something I think down to earth 
is is a good like down to earth but confident is a good way to describe Mr. Shepherd. Yeah, that's what's funny is that Mr. President. There's there's no there's no um correlative figure to him. Yeah. But, which is cool, but isn't we, it? Because that makes him like a character. Right, and we buy it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, the president should be like this. And speaking of presidents, this was uh not too long it was made not too long after um I think two years into Clinton's administration. Yep. And this was, I think this is a very prescient movie for the time because this is right after the midterm where uh, the Republicans took back control of, I think, both the Senate and the House. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like this big loss of faith in the Democratic Party because oh. they went like really soft on issues their first t- um, half of their term. Ah. And so I think this is kind of like calling that out a little bit and being like, hey, you're going to have to like actually you know, keep two promises that you make in a way. Gosh, back in the day where we cared about that. <laughs> Goodness. Um, but that Shepard, uh, we can see how down to earth he is, is because he, he really wants most, most people to not call him Mr. President. Even the people he wants to call him Mr. President, he's like, man, I just wish I could be your friend. And the other thing about this movie, and I think I'll point it out continually, is that you could have, this script could have been from the 1940s. It could have yeah. been, a, and it's it's already lampshaded. Um, Annette Benning later says when she's going to the White House, she's like, this is a very Capra-esque moment for me. Mm, mm-hmm. And this could have very easily have been a Frank Capra movie starring Jimmy Stewart well, or Cary Grant. It's interesting that you bring that up because I, I feel like before the mid-60s, like basically, I think before Nixon, there was a we don't touch the president's office in entertainment or like news. Right. It wasn't until Kennedy that people really talked about the social life of the president. Right. And then, you know, once, once they talked about like, you know, the good, like, cause I mean, Kennedy was like, so lauded by the press. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of stuff was swept under the rug in regards to him as well. He was just like a really cool, holy figure. Right. <laughs> and, um, then you have Nixon who, you know, <laughs> did a whole bunch of crappy stuff. And then, um, the press was like, Oh, we can punch the president in the balls too. Okay. This makes them a, a rounded person because they're yeah. either like a saint or somebody that we can demonize and that kind of like coalesced into we can make movies about the president as well yeah maybe do you yeah, think yeah. like once the president has character that we can define outside of like a utopian sense well they have movies that were more historical things like john ford has a abraham lincoln biopic so right there's the respectful like let's celebrate our past mm-hmm. kind of thing but there wasn't really like let's i mean uh, at us people like if there was yeah. in classic Hollywood cinema speculative fiction about what it's like to be the president but like concurrent with modern day right yeah. not saying what was it like then it was it's like saying we have our own fictional president we're gonna make a movie about them like I'm, I'm just thinking like the only the only other instance of this I can think of is like jesters in a court telling sure the court story. jester just that was based on no no Eisenhower. no <laughs> Danny Kaye's Eisenhower was roaring. Danny Kaye's Eisenhower. (laughs) Who's your war president? Um, No, like a court jester being like, yeah, this is the story of our king or something like that. I don't know, maybe. But anyway, on with the story. Okay. Uh, He's also a widower. Uh, He he, he was widowered. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we then skip across the street to... 
Well, when do we? Uh, they when they do introduce we get to the GDC. Yeah, they address they introduce Annette Benning as the big time political consultant that she's basically the GDC's closer lobbyist. Yeah. So at first, what's her name steps onto scene with John Mah- John Mahoney. By the way, is in this Martin um, Crane. Martin Crane wearing the only like one of the only suits that we've ever seen him in. Right. Um, and he still has a giant belt buckle. I like. I really like his look in this oh, that's movie. Great. Um, but what's her name? Uh, Wendy, Wendy Malick is um, the woman, the other woman working at the GDC before Annette Benning gets there. And I was like, oh, wait, I thought Annette Benning was our lead. But just since she was like the first like viable female, like not working in the president's office, I was like, well, this movie's obviously got to be about her. Oh, no, she's just somebody who works there. Didn't she become Martin Crane's girlfriend at the end of Frasier? Isn't she the woman who plays the younger woman? No. No, I don't think so. Maybe she is. Whoever's editing this episode will plug in and be like, maybe she is. Hey y'all, Ryan from the future here. I was the editor. I was correct. Wendy Malick was on Frasier, was on The American President. In Frasier, she played Ronnie Lawrence, lounge singer and babysitter to Frasier and then... How's how's it go? It's been a while, but I, she kind of dates Fraser. He's interested in her, but eventually it turns out that she starts dating Martin Crane, and that's how the series ends. Oh, spoilers! Anyways, thanks for listening. Yes, she is. Thanks for telling us, Phantom Editor. So we then they they introduced Nit Benning. They're like, we need her because we're lobbying the president. We need them to pass this environmental bill as well as the crime bill. The environmental bill is we want uh, greenhouse emissions reduced by twenty percent. Right, and we've already gotten at this point in time that um, President Shepard is like, no, we're not going to push for that right now. We're on the crime bill. We're going to keep it at ten percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. don't rock the boat. Like everyone uh, in on the staff is like, we, we don't want to push things too hard. We're, we're in a really good position. Let's keep it really moderated. Let's not go too hard on anything. Hey, hey, hey! It's just the planet. Let's on, slow baby. down, guys. Please, baby. <laughs> and, and so Annette Benning goes off to the White House to to make the case and be the closer lobbyist that right. she is. John Mahoney describes her as a bulldog. Yeah, Annette Benning. And then we get our meat cute. It's a great meat cute. Yeah. The line is, let's take him out back and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> I love it. Basically, he's so, he's so good at like diffusing a situation. Yeah. So Annette Benning has a meeting with the chief of staff, President Bartlett. Yep. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, Leo. AJ. No, Le- isn't it Macaroni? Mac- yeah, AJ McNamara. Yeah, McCarney, something like that. Uh, so she's like going all in. She's like, this president doesn't care. He's this, he's that. He doesn't care about the environment. We're all going to die and he sucks. And then he comes in. He's like, yeah, let's take him out in the back and beat the shit out of him. It's like, ah, I like you. I like you, Michael Douglas. And we, we get this immediate sense of attraction from him where he walks in the room sees that she like not attracted to her immediately, but sees that this is a person who's like, you know, not going to be a brown noser. Like I feel like a lot of people are in his life. Yeah. But she's genuine and she will be critical and truthful. And he, if he's not super attracted to her at first, he's at least attracted to that. 
Yeah. Um, and he's and, intrigued. And y- you can get a really good disparity because the Wendy Malkin character or Malik character in the scene, she's, she is definitely the person who's like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. And she's like, Mr. President, thank you so much. And he's just like, he almost like just doesn't acknowledge her and walks out of the room before right. he invites Annette Benning to right. go with him. Annette Benning's name is Sydney Sid- Ellen Wade. Sydney Ellen Wade. I like how she always gets introduced as such. And, you know, this introduction of like President, President, not Bartlett, President Shepard. President Shepard comes in, uh, Annette Benning's there, and they're chemistry right off the bat it just immediately i'm thinking carrie grant katherine hepburn right there yeah yeah she's um i mean not like the movie we just not watched. to bring up baby characters or personas but annette benning i was so uh amazed by her performance because she every scene is always up and always pushing and always just very direct in the scene. She's never, she's never laying back. She's always forward. There's a forward momentum to her performance. I agree. I agree. She also has like kind of a, I think she's dynamic as a character um, Mm -hmm. where, where she'll like kind of rein it in when she knows she's put her foot in it. Yeah. She's, she's a character that, that actually for, for being such a like stridently like, moral person with, with like these high standards. She also gets like really giddy and embarrassed a lot. Mm -hmm. So she, she's felt like almost right, right away. A well-rounded character. Yeah. She felt very genuine. Yeah. Um, but I like her and I like, like how Michael, Michael Douglas as president, he moves fast Mm -hmm. because he takes her into the room. They start kind of discussing, um, politics but then he's like hey why don't do you, do you want to go get like a coffee or something <laughs> and a donut and it's it, just like wait what <laughs> he it almost throws her off her game but she's like no no i won't and then she tries to leave through like she she tells him like you're gonna give us 20 percent, and i'm gonna leave it there and then she almost exits the wrong door and he's like you can't go that way because the secret service will kill you <laughs> oh i'm gonna revise my comparison it's Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn. That's what we're really looking. A little on bit screen. more like, like, like in terms of like Michael Douglas has Spencer Tracy vibes. Where he does very confident, suave, but it's not like he's the sexiest guy in the room. He, uh, he is most of the time in this movie because there's not really any competition other than Michael J. Fox. Yeah, who, Michael you know, J. Fox is, is Fox. Yeah. Whoa, wait, wait a minute, Talk, Are you trying to tell me that my mother has got the hots for me? But like. You know, if I threw Michael Douglas at Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise in the 90s. He's super strong. He, he, Michael he's Douglas. strong. Uh, I, I don't think he'd be the top tier. No, though. no, no. I, I mean, you picking it. him up and throwing him. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm good. I'm yeah. good. <laughs> by the way. You're back good these days? By the way, my arms are so tired. My From, son is getting so well, big. Well, you're feeding him all the time. <laughs> Whose fault is that? <laughs> he's so heavy. <laughs> um, but if Michael Douglas... Uh, he's more of Spencer Tracy's class. Sure. There's something old that feels a little old Hollywood about Michael Douglas. And I don't know if it's um, because it's that daddy Douglas in him. Yeah. I think it's like, he kind of has a Kirk Douglas look to him. Like, I mean, they're always compared as looking similarly, but he, he just has a very classic look to him that, that I really like. And I I feel like it goes with Annette Benning. Like Annette Benning isn't necessarily, she's beautiful, but she's not like a starlet. Of, right. of any kind. And so like the two of them feel really good together when you get them in a room alone. That's that's how I feel about Catherine Hepburn is that that's why I was kind of surprised that she was like your number one. She's my number one. Um, because for me, Catherine Hepburn feels what Annette Benning feels like in this movie that she's just 
there's so much to her. Whereas like Audrey Hepburn, that's the starlet for me. I'm like, oh, Audrey, who? <laughs> yeah, I like my women with substance. I don't know. Well, you're right. <laughs> no, uh, no, Audrey Hepburn also has substance. But Kirk Douglas, no, obviously, Michael Douglas uh, has that Kirk Douglas thing where I could just imagine watching this with like like an older older guy, and he's like, uh, I liked him in Spartacus. No, no, that's his son. He's like, <laughs> no, 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 that's Kirk Douglas, Spartacus. Hey, <laughs> Spartacus. So uh, they have- I am Shepard. <laughs> I'm Spartacus. 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 It, it all goes together. Uh, they have their meat cute. Yep. And later on, he decides, I'm going to ask that girl out. He, he, he thinks about it for a second. He, he talks to his chief of staff about it, and he's like, I'm going to ask her out. And they're like, uh, you might have some troubles with the press mm-hmm. and how they treat it. He's like, who cares? I'm doing it. I, and I like this scene because like him and AJ as characters, good friends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just like, you're not even going to use my name when we're playing pool. Right. And so you, you know that he's like missing that companionship that he probably had with his wife, mm-hmm. you know, before she died. And there's just something like longing about our, our m- m- bro president. Yeah. You know, and we also introduced, uh, the president's daughter, right? 12 year old. Who's cool. The trombone. What is her name? Oh, Lucy. Lucy, Lucy Shepard. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, it's nice that it's just like, it's a pleasant 12 year old. Like, yeah. And he's a dad. Yeah. Where he's, he's like, my dad used to do this. He's, he's like, here, have a book that you'll have no fun reading, but you should read it because <laughs> I'm a dad and I, I know that this is good for you. So the movie goes on and basically the rest of the plot is Annette Benning eventually saying yes to going out with him after some, you know, f- funny foibles uh, yeah. between them. Uh, but eventually they start dating, they have a relationship, and then the sharks start to circle the wagons, the as sharks it were. being mainly Richard Dreyfus playing Rumpson, a, a, a senator, senator in the Republican Rumpson, Party. Um, whose equivalency today is Mitch McConnell. Yeah, he's kind of like a young Mitch McConnell. Yeah, because like, in this movie he's Senate Minority Leader, right. Republican mm-hmm. of Kansas, Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, Senate minority leader. You know, speaking of Kentucky, um, I I learned today. So at one point in time, Annette Benning, like their first date is them uh, going to this ball that's being put on for uh, the French, the, the new the new French the president. New president. And that should be the sequel, though. It really should the be French the French president. president. And <laughs> they just kind of show up as a cameo at the beginning of the movie. They're just like bored at parties. <laughs> um, he introduces Annette Benning. The president introduces Annette Benning to the, the uh, president of France and his wife as f- of the Vir- or of the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I was like, oh, is that like what you do when you're introducing somebody from the United States is call it Commonwealth? Yeah. And I looked this up, and it's actually, we have four commonwealths. Virginia, Kentucky, Massachusetts, and... California? Philadelphia? I know it's another East Coast. I can't remember exactly. Virginia, Massachusetts, Kentucky, and... I don't know. I can't remember. But it's just that, like, in their original constitution and some of the verbiage of that state, they were referred to as commonwealths. And so they had, like, a couple extra like duties like commonwealth attorney instead of a state attorney and 
And I just thought it would have been a cool thing if, like, whenever the president had to introduce somebody from the Commonwealth of Oregon. <laughs> yeah, we 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 too we have too much of that, you know, Oregon Trail vibes. We would never be able to pull off Commonwealth. Man, but wouldn't it be cool? Like, I like the word Commonwealth. It's just like for the common good. Yeah, but we got that kind of pioneer look. It, it just would never hold. So, <laughs> Senator Rumson, the Republican uh, president contender. I'm glad that there wasn't even a like primary. They're like, uh, yeah, he's he's the GOP frontrunner. Yeah, uh-huh. um, starts to take advantage of the situation of the president having a girlfriend and just kind of smears her all over the place. Right, and the reason why they didn't attack his character in the first time that he ran was because his wife had recently passed. Yeah, and so. That's just like, they're like, oh, now that he's dating someone, we can take like punches at him. Yeah. Yeah. And so the GOP is taking advantage of the situation by smearing the girlfriend and doing the character attack on him. Um, And simultaneous to that, that uh, starts to erode at his uh, job approval rating and he's starting to lose support and he is starting to lose support for his gun bill. Um, At the same time, he's already made a deal with... uh, Sidney Allen Wade, that he would approve a 20% version of the emissions bill if she can get the votes from the other senators. And so we have like this parallel story where each of these bills are kind of slowly getting support over the course of the film. Right. And that, and you know, for Shepard, it's the gun bill for her. It's the, it's the greenhouse bill. Cause that's her job. Um, but the, the climax of the movie comes to this point where He's lost so much support because of his public, uh, whatever you want to call it, fracas of having a girlfriend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he basically gets to a point where he must decide to sacrifice his girlfriend's greenhouse bill in order to get his gun bill put through right. and approved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's your... Uh, your end of second act, piss off the lady in your life by doing something selfish act. I'm right. trying to, and I maybe mean, we'll keep that for trip talk. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and like this whole time, his advisors, um, being, uh, gosh, what are their names? <laughs> Robin, AJ, Lewis, and Leon. <laughs> I wrote them all down. I, I just feel like, um, he has this, like Aaron Sorkin has this, like, box of names and he kind of shakes it up uh-huh. and then he starts writing the West Wing and he doesn't bother to change out the names. He's like, ah, oh, these are fine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty, Aaron Sorkin is, well, we'll get more into this, but he's, he's an idealist and I like that about him, but I know it grates on people. Um, but anyway, like his, his, um, cabinet members are all like you or and his advisors are like, you got to like you got to get the win that you can get. Yeah, and you have to also not only that, but you also have to go up against Rumson and like actually address all of the stuff that he's smearing you with. Yeah, and he's like, no, I don't have to like play low ball. I yeah. can just um, like kind of live my life, and in doing so, he's not doing his job really. Right. And so he's finding a comfort in a relationship, which I think we've all done that, where we we have like our life that is. St- 
like standardly one way and then we get into a relationship and we're like, ah, oh, I'm just going to focus on this for a while. Yeah. Everybody else can kind of take a, a backseat. But it is refreshing to watch the president say, I'm not going to engage and I'm not going to dignify the character attacks in the first place. Yeah. Let's not, wasn't it? Let's just not go there at all. Like, and the advisor's like, well, if you don't go there, it's it's still gonna he's still gonna get at you. And I I feel like like this I I like the the instinct that he has not to go there, but at the same time he's so cool he could have just gone there with like grace and been like hey. Don't be a butthead, Rumson. Yeah, and so the climax of the movie is one of the great, you know, things that you find on YouTube of like speech from the American president, where it's right. Michael Douglas taking on the character tax against Rumson, says, "Screw you, I'm taking you on. Uh, don't drag my girlfriend uh, and drag her name through this because she's got way more class than you, pal." It is not this day. <laughs> um, and tr- uh, trivia. Ted Cruz quoted this movie when he was doing something. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he quoted because someone like attacked someone in his life, and he's like, "She's got way more class than you, some other person." And and if Donald wants to get in a character fight, he's better off sticking with me because Heidi is way out of her, his league. If you want a character to debate Bob, you better stick with me because Sidney Ellen Wade is way out of your league. Uh, well, good for him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you watch movies. Good. Um. And he's like, we're putting through the greenhouse bill. And it's like, what? what? He's going to go with the girlfriend's bill, even though he technically, well, no, he basically had to choose. Yeah, because like there were votes that were either going to vote for one or the other. And so at first he chose the bill that he wanted, then he's choosing the bill for her. And the 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 minutiae to it was the greenhouse bill was ambitious and really Punching. It, it set new policy. And it was really trying hard, whereas the gun bill that he was going to put through was just kind of weak in the first place. Yeah, it was it was a bill that was going to get some things done, but it wasn't going to actually tackle the problem, which is why he has all of his arguments with Michael J. Fox, who's always like, no, we need to actually write policy in here and not just get something by. Right. And, you know, I don't want to get too political, but I feel like that was part of the criticism of the Obama era is that he always played it safe and always played it like really careful and mm-hmm. didn't do... Other than Obamacare, like lots of ambitious things that unfortunately Trump went after. Well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna just lay this one out here though. Gay marriage. Well, that wasn't him. That was well, that was the Supreme Court. Yeah, but it was something that happened during right. I think, no, he gets, is, he gets plenty of credit. Yeah. It was a good era for yeah. for him. <laughs> but you're right. There's like as far as bills introduced, um, it's it's really satisfying to see something like this happen in in like a West Wing or in a movie like this where like the the cause for like justice and good gets a win through mm-hmm. hard work and determination and like not not saying uh well we'll do what we can right and I think that was the frustration of the pre-Trump political era of like we heard that from everyone from governors and senators and congress people of like well we'll do something but there was all these problems happening and we it just felt like useless but then you have someone like trump he's like i'll take care of it and does all these sweeping things he's like no 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 not that not that <laughs> and so this movie was a tonic it just was like ah oh, going after something big for good things yeah and and like that's I, I guess we can we can touch on the and they get together at the end yeah yeah, yeah it's great um Aaron Sorkin. Um, I know people who just can't stand 
West Wing or Newsroom or any of his other projects because they're there's like some people see it as like saccharine and cloying mm-hmm. um, a little too idealistic, but I really think that Sorkin does a good job of putting, putting ideals on a pedestal and not people. Right. Um, and I, cause I think his people are generally people who make mistakes. And I think like, like this movie isn't the movie that, like is should be lauded as like the great work of Aaron Sorkin. But I think you can see really good bits of that here, even in, in the small, like relational moments, like when, like we, you can, we don't get any idea that Annette Benning is attracted to president Bartlett at all when she's meeting with him. President right? Shepard. Shark Shepard. <laughs> Dang it. It's, it's Sorkin's fault. It's, it's the don't spike. Don't put the same president in the room with him. It's the Spike Lee, Spike Jones situation all over again. Here we again. go again. Um, but when we don't get that she is until like she, she basically has this phone conversation with somebody who's like, I can do an Andrew Shepard impression. And then she hangs up on him and then Shepard calls back and she thinks it's that person doing the impression. And she's like, okay, you got me. I thought he had a great ass. She goes all Al Pacino in on him. Um, But like, it is a way that isn't, it doesn't like, explicit she's not like sitting down with her sister and being like well i was attracted to him and you know i really thought he had a nice butt right it was like her being flippant and allowing honesty to seep through her flippantness yeah and she just ends up being honest to the one person she would rather not be yeah and i i think that's where aaron sorkin shines and i feel like he does that same thing when he's trying to get across an ideological point is he sometimes he has his big speeches and I think that's tantamount to being in a medium that, you know, is based verbally where like good speeches are like just so satisfying, like the speech at the end of this movie. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that Sorkin does a really good job of saying like, there's different thoughts, but this is the one that, I deem most good without like hitting you over the head with a hammer, mm-hmm. which I, it, it generally stuff like that rings really false to me. And I feel like what, where he might be idealistic, he is at least um, fluid with his writing. I think Sorkin is best to be studied for his technical achievements. Um, his dialogue is very, unique because it's very quick and there's a lot of it mm-hmm. um and that works great for television drama where you don't need to be really showy with your camera you just have the characters just talking 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 mm-hmm. um sometimes it's interesting when it's like the social network which he wrote and you have someone like david fincher make those conversations more filmic and mm-hmm. making a lot of cinema out of it you know, from a woman's perspective, sometimes not seeing in an acapella group is a good thing. This is serious. On the other hand, I do like guys who wrote crew. Well, I can't do that. I was kidding. Yes, I got nothing wrong with the test. Have you ever tried? I'm trying right now. To row crew? To get into a final club. To row crew? No. Are you, like, whatever, delusional? Maybe it's just sometimes you say two things at once, I'm not sure which one I'm supposed to be aiming at. But you've seen guys who row crew, right? No. Okay, well, they're bigger than me. They're world-class athletes. And a second ago, you said you like guys who were cool, so I assumed you had met one. I guess I just meant I like the idea of it, you know, the way a girl likes cowboys. Okay. Yeah. Um, here, Rob Reiner's the director. You know, you got Princess Bride director, 
When Harry Met Sally director. And I feel like it's very When Harry Met Sally material once again. Yeah. There's very a much. lot of there's a lot of philosoph- philosophical talking, but it never gets it never feels like we're watching some characters lecture each other. They're just kind of navigating relationships. Right. If Fincher would have shot this movie, I think there would have been a lot more like not to get too filmy, but there would have been a lot more cutting between like wides, mediums and closes just to see who had the the power in the scene. Right. right? And with Rob Reiner, he's, he's much more interested in like how people stand in relation to each other. Like that time where she comes to his office and he gets excited and he like walks over to her and she takes two steps back and he like keeps advancing until he realizes that she doesn't want him to advance anymore. Mm -hmm. And he stops and she stops and they're kind of like parallel to the oval office with the desk between them. And it's much more stagey. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's always fluid and never, it's never distracting. Like I really like the scene where, uh, it's they're they're dating and he has her over to the White House. The China room scene. No, later when she uh, comes out in his shirt. Oh, yeah. it's a very sexy moment because she's very clearly nervous, and that comes across in the writing and the direction. And Shepard is just trying to get her to relax. He's like, "Have a drink," not like "Have a drink." <laughs> yeah, he like I I think we should say up front that like she is lobbying for something. Right, and there could be some. There's a there's a gray area of here, um, but it he never takes the time to be a bad guy about this. Like I mean, his his he never besmirches his character by acting dishonorably. Yeah, but that scene where he's trying to get a relax and he's like, okay, it's like this, uh, and he explains that the first ladies weren't nervous when they had sex with their president husbands because because. Um, when they first had sex with their husbands, they weren't presidents then. And there's like this little ding for Annette Benning that just made her see him in a completely new light. Mm-hmm. And that's all he ever wanted. And you could have someone like David Fincher or Paul Thomas Anderson do something like really arty with a scene like that. Um, but instead it's Rob Reiner who just like gets the emotions front and center for us mm-hmm. so that we see that recognition in Annette Benning's eyes. And I think most people watching it kind of figured out what she was doing in the bathroom. You know, I, I thought so. I, I, I saw it happen, but honestly, the first time I watched it, I didn't know what changed in that scene. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, she seemed too nervous just a moment before. And then when she came out, I'm like, wow, that is a, you know, big change to happen when you've just been listening to him this whole time. Right. However, upon watching it the second time, because I watched this movie twice in the last two weeks. Isn't that nice? Um, I I kind of get it. And, and it, it all comes down to the fact that he kind of is like, look, we don't have to do anything. I, I'm just going to say my piece and like, I'm going to sit down. And the fact that he resigns himself is one of those things that just makes it okay. Right. Like as soon as somebody stops like pushing for something, it gives you a chance to breathe and think. Right. And that's kind of what happened for her. Yeah. And then she comes out in his shirt and, and that's it. And she, uh, up until then, and then he gets to see her oval office. God. Uh, okay, everybody, (laughs) but it's, is this a romance podcast or is it not? No, you're right. You're right. You're you're right. You are correct. (laughs) Uh, she, she is, uh, smoking in the scene. Yeah. Just, but, 
in, in in an appropriate way. Like she's the equivalency to Michael Douglas. It's not like Julia Roberts is in the room. It's Annette Benning who just looks fantastic, but is also Yeah. I, these are normal people. I take her as a lobbyist for the GDC. Yeah. Um but Aaron Sorkin, I that's the technical stuff that mm-hmm. I like that these scenes come across really well. I am a bit more of the pessimistic camp of movie watchers that his content feels definitely idealistic. I think he would call it idealistic, Mm -hmm. but also naive because it's kind of like, wouldn't it be great if we had a president like this? And like 10 years ago, I'd be like, yeah, it'd be great. Uh, A year ago, I'd be like, well, we don't. We can't think about that. Now it's just like we're so fatigued where it's like, I guess it'd be great. Just anything, anything, <laughs> anything other than this, please. I, I, think, I think what we have here is a filmmaker in Aaron Sorkin who, who says things could be this way. And what he's trying to create is a template. And I can see how that rubs people raw sometimes. Because yeah. it's like when Obama got elected – you know, I remember the energy in the country for people who wanted to be president was like, sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much we can accomplish now. There's so much we can do. And I feel like this month, it's just like, the house is on fire, put out the fire. Like, <laughs> I don't have any sense of long-term optimism. Sure. I just have this kind of short-term, just like, we're in war. We're at war <laughs> with this pandemic. It's like, let's just get things fixed. So watching this movie, it just feels like, not just like from the nineties, but just like, it's so hard to like put myself in a place where that's what normal life is. And I think what this movie was trying, I mean, it's a delicate balance when you're doing something like that, because you, you don't want to say, this is what life is like. And you know, everybody relax. Everything is fine. Um, you know, politicians are all around super great people. Except for that one GOP Senator, but that's it. Right. Or, well, I mean, yeah. And, or like the other guys. <laughs> Do you notice when they were in their like little hunting club meeting, their, right. their, their meeting, like, uh, you know, Rumson's like, oh, this guy's been in a, uh, on a hunting trip. And then three different people throw down three different newspapers as if that was the cue they were all waiting for. <laughs> like, that's one of those throw movie moments where it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. But uh, anyway, so like you have like that side of things. And then you also, but you also don't want to, be a huge cynic and be like, like making house of cards and say, everybody is evil and everyone's kind of like out for themselves right. and nobody really wants to do good. And so like there, there's a middle ground to be found, but I think what, what Sorkin is trying to do is say, this is, this is a template which would be great. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's good in, in a way, but at, at, a, at another point in time, maybe that's why stuff like Trump happens. Well, and you know, <laughs> It's very much a 90s movie because this came out in the same time as Forrest Gump, Apollo 13. Right. And this is just kind of celebrating America. Um, but <laughs> those those movies feel so much more outdated now because right. Forrest Gump like looks back at the previous 30 years and like, it wasn't that bad, right, guys? It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yes, it was bad. Uh, yeah. And this, I mean, I'm just going to bring it up. It's it's not a huge knock I'm going to make on the movie, but it feels very nineties. in the fact that we have, um, a black woman as a press secretary. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the characters who are black <clears throat> gardener. Oh, 
security Se- guard, secret service member, secret service, and then the uh, the front security guard, right? Um, and that's it. That's it. And then every other room is just filled with a bunch of white people. Yep. It's the White House, so <laughs> very much so. But anyway, so it did feel a little '90s like that, and um, but I want to say we haven't really talked about Rob Reiner, Rob, who Reiner. one of my favorite filmmakers. He um, not only did Princess Bride, Stand by Me. Um, what else did we bring up? When Harry so, Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally, um, and he he uses um, a lot of good. He he knows who to cast. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got Mark Shaman like sitting or Shyman, Mark Shyman sitting in his Shaman sitting in his back pocket. He's a composer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Jonathan seal is the person who, uh, DP'd this movie. Everything feels it's that kind of nineties thing that we were talking about with, um, Rachel when we were talking about in and out who Mark Shaman also did the composition, oh. for. but it feels so well crafted. Yeah. In an invisible way. Yeah. Where I think you said it, it's not showy. Like you don't feel the director's hand a lot. There's just a lot of smooth moves and perfect framing. Yeah. And that's what you get with Rob Reiner. Like even in his movies that aren't, don't move me very much. It's still like, I feel like I'm in good hands. Yeah. And that's why I feel like it's actually a good, it's, it's pretty easy to lump it in with Forrest Gump and Apollo 13, who I think, you know, Forrest Gump does some more showy stuff um, because you got Robert Zemeckis, the director of Back to the Future, doing it. Um, but with like Apollo 13, it's just it's just getting a feel for something, and it's not it's never distracting. It's just I'm always in the room with these characters, whether uh, I'm in the room with these astronauts or I'm in the room in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. Like both feel like super believable and super not glammed up. Yeah. Right? It's it's never like. Like the music is a little like West Wingy, where it's like, sure, oh, oh, oh. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> but but other than that, that's as much pomp as the film gets, right? Uh, yeah, and then there's like the the ball scene, which has pomp based on being a ball. It's scene. Gotta have the pomp. You gotta have your pomp. Maybe your circumstance uh, depends, but. I don't know. What, what did you think about? Like we've talked like a lot about this movie as a movie, but what about the romance? Oh, the romance. I love the romance. Do you um, think that we should save this for trope talk? Yeah. Let's take a break and then we'll get in the romance. We'll get in the romance. <laughs> trope talk. It's a little trope talk where you can talk together. Um, am a little deuce trope talk. You don't know how to talk. Little Diz Trope Talk. You don't know how to talk. Little Diz Trope Talk. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Do you want to just record all of them right now? Uh, yeah. Trope Talk. It's a trope talk. Uh, it's a new trope. Star Wars Episode Four. A new trope. <laughs> That's good. I like that. <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, Anyways, I love that Alfred Hitchcock t- uh, movie trope. Oh, starring Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how they filmed it. Uh, have you seen to trope or to trope not? <laughs> no, I haven't. What are you referencing? Um, how about, does that to have and to have not princess Tromanoke? <laughs> <laughs> how about my neighbor trope? A row. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Let's do this then. <laughs> Uh, Wayne's trope. 
Wayne's trope two. Die trope, die harder. Mm. Die troper. <laughs> what about little trope? Oh, it's by Lewis and May. Big Alcott. trouble in little tropio. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Austin trope, international trope of mystery. <laughs> Let's stop. <laughs> Let's move on. What's the trope? You you mentioned it earlier. Oh. You were like, "There's a there's somebody who's angry or no ruining something." The trope I want to say what it is. I don't know if there's a name for it, but it's when your protagonist character makes the selfish decision and loses the girl in the process. I think it's um, choosing the world over the lover. Yeah. And in this case, it's when President Shepard picks his crime bill and doesn't mm. go with his lady's bill, which was what their whole relationship started out of, was a mutual respect of, uh, if not a quid pro quo, but kind of in the sense that I'm going to get you the senator's votes, and if I get you the votes, you're going to put it through. Right. She did her job. He was derelict in his duty. Well, yeah, I mean, he he... And it's kind of weird because part of the reason he was derelict in his duty was because of her, which makes it a good bit of irony. Again, Aaron mm-hmm. Sorkin, good job. Good, good dramatic irony, dick. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, good job being a good writer. Do you <laughs> the, find yourself mad at good writers or like happy? I'm mad at bad writers that get films made, uh-huh. but I think think that the writers that are really good and are really success are su- really successful deserve every penny of success. Oh, I do too. I I think but what I'm talking about is in my or especially my early 20s when any writer was successful I was just like you guys probably aren't talking. And then then like, you know, I turned 25 and I was like, "Oh no, it's just good when any writer succeeds." So good job. Well, well any good writer succeeds. Yeah, and it's it's just kind of like you know, Aaron Sorkin gets Sorkined a lot, and he gets singled out a lot sure. um, because because his style is kind of a parody of fast talking characters. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah, he's kind of doing the like like the Howard Hawks thing, but, yeah, but updated and generally for politics or news. It's not as fun <laughs> when it's Aaron Sorkin. It's not as fun as his girl Friday or bringing up baby. I, I mean, it's not, but like I love. Michael J. Fox and Michael Douglas walking down a hallway together. I like it in a different way. Didn't you feel, though, in this movie, we're not even talking about Trope Talk, but we'll get back to Trope Talk in a second, but didn't you feel like this movie was like the feature-length version of West Wing? (laughs) Just like it felt like the big theatrical event of the West Wing. And the question I have for you is, like, this became, like, West Wing basically set up a precedent- Mm. Oh, for like the walk and talk. Right. Right. Where, you know, you, you'll see it in other shows too, like an ER or scrubs, you know, you're walking down long hallways and you're, you have a tracking shot where you're just following two people talking, but this movie's 1995. You have Rob Reiner at the helm, Aaron Sorkin writing. And I'm wondering if that's something that Sorkin saw and he's like, yes, I'm going to use that all over the place. Or if it was something that like he leaned over to Rob Reiner and he's like, look, uh, I wrote it this way because I want them to be like, maybe it's in the script where he's like, and they walk down the hall and have this conversation and it's one unbroken shot. Or if that's something like they came up with. Well, it it's together. great with this setting because a lot of this movie shows how busy a life the president has. Right. And his, his whole this day starts off with his uh, secretary basically being like, or his day planner. Yeah. I, I don't know what she is. 
uh, and uh, the only way to really get that across filmically is to just show him going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you have a character be like, you have to go to this thing and then we cut to the next thing. Yeah. We don't feel it. But if we have to show him being like hurried along by all his staff members and all those conversations have to take place in the hallway because when else would it take place? Right. So somewhere, I don't. I think it's baked into the DNA because when you write a script, you have to write in the setting where your characters are at, at with mm-hmm. when their dialogue is taking place right. that you say into your hallway. Like I, those slug lines are just all continuous yeah. at the end of them. Continuously. It's continuing. It's continuing continuously. Uh, so I think, uh, I don't know if this is the, like if he stumbled into it or just knew from the get go, it's like, this is how you do it. Yeah. We, we should do a study on that and see if we can find like, like the earliest version of the walk and talk. Oh, like the um, Rosetta Stone of walk and talks. Yeah, yeah. See where they they derived all that good uh, film juice from. Anyways, right. trope so. talk. Um, trope Christmas. So basically, Christmas. there's there's generally a sense when you're when you're giving up, right? You're giving up um, the perfect relationship in order to do something selfish. The characters that can be redeemed from this is if they're they've made a mistake and so they can't have it all. But they do what they do for the greater good. Right. Right. Um, well, greater good. Well, like for, for him, he he selfishly does this thing for what he thinks is... The most prudent the thing. The most prudent thing to do. Um, but he he overcomes his own follies by basically just apologizing. Um, no, and, he reverses course though. Well, he reverses course, but I mean, like he, that is his apology is what I mean. His right. apology is an action. He has to reverse course to get Annette Benning back. Right. And so what's, what's another example of this though, where, where that happens? You've got mail, you've got Fox books. And at first it's just one of those things where it's like, uh, is Fox books going to beat out the shop around the corner uh, maybe it's just kind of the nature of what Fox books does. It's not like Fox books is in it singled out the shop around the corner, but they, they are the cause. They, they just are the big cause. And that's the strife between him and Meg Ryan. But it soon comes to a point where at first he didn't care, but then he soon really cared about her and he can't reverse right. Fox books gobbling up the shop around the corner. And so what he has to do is character repair where he needs to work. It's kind of really unique hard. in that way, yeah. isn't it? He's got to work really hard to show that he's not that bad a guy and it wasn't personal, but that's what they have to work out. It's like, it was still personal to her. Right. And that's why that, that's why that like movie works so well. It's almost, I mean, it's almost an impossible thing that they pull off in that film where in this movie. Yeah, I get it. Like Annette Benning has everything fulfilled and you know, um, Michael Douglas, Mr. Shepard has his honor at the end, kind mm-hmm. of where he does the honorable thing, um, and kind of admits to his mistakes. But in, in you've got mail, it's just like for her to fall in love with Tom Hanks. It only works because of the emailing. Yeah. And even then people think people, about yeah. it in the long run. They're like, wait a minute. She fell in love, fell in love with the guy who destroyed her family business started by her own mother. <laughs> and like, that was the criticism yeah. like lauded at, 
uh, at Nora Ephron, and she's like, look, kid, it's love. I mean, that is kind of the thing. If love is involved, you can forgive almost any decision somebody makes, or at least understand it. Yeah. Because it's like, well, if there's enough motions, emotions pushing past the tide, or pushing past the wall of your pride, you know, then it's just, love's always going to win. Yeah. Um, what's a, another example? A similar trope is when a secret is found out, like in 10 Things I Hate About You. This is the, da- this is the dating thing where, yeah. uh, you know, s- somebody made a bet, yeah. you know, of some kind. And it's like, I bet you can't go to prom with this nerd. Right. And they're like, yes, I can. And then he falls in love with her. But then the secret is found out. Right. My bet? Am I a bet? Am I a fucking bet? And that breaks them apart. Yeah, and then they've got to find some kind of action. And in 10 Things They Had to Hate About You, he just buys her a guitar. <laughs> and that works somehow. Well, I mean, he he buys her a guitar, but... Um, I mean, that that's a complicated thing. I can't wait till, till we talk about it because he buys her a guitar after she reads a poem about him in class. Right. Which is actually in our love trope um, uh, theme. The Yeah. yeah. The fall in love of uh, little Diddy. Yeah. Uh, so you either have the selfish choice or the, keeper, the secret keeping, which they're similar enough yeah, that yeah. they're being selfish about something and they're, they're not being completely honest with their lover. And I, I'd say that this generally happens to the most, does it happen to the most main of main characters in a story? Because like our two main characters are Annette Benning and um, Michael Douglas, but I would say he's probably the most lead out of the two of them. And so he's the character that has to go through the change. Right. Right. Same thing with two weeks notice. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Very similar to Two Weeks Notice because mm-hmm. he he's got to do something that's for the business um, and totally betrays Lucy in the process, mm-hmm. um, and then he's got to reverse course. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you can do it drastically or not. And the the course reversal isn't enough. Like it, it can't just be that you do the good thing. Uh, like our like these movies are made up of dialogue, right? And you have to be able to express why you did it. Because if you just like do the right thing as a Band-Aid on it, it's never going to get you your significant other at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. You have to explain, I was wrong. I know what I did wrong. This is why I'm changing it. And it's usually because it's not only the right thing to do, but it's because I also love you. And all of that together like allows for the forgiveness to happen. Kind of like in The Santa Claus, when yeah, Charlie's <laughs> mother takes the... Um, separation papers and she throws them in the fire now that is a symbolic act that really reverses course she wants santa tim allen to see charlie and i quote whenever you want yeah but that's it's that's bogus because she's (laughs) and you know neil's gonna have to deal with it neil him in his sweaters um yeah good trope though yeah um well it was a good trope, but do you think you have a rom-com Oscar to top it? Do I have a rom-com Oscar Nunez from The Office? <laughs> I do. I do. I do. <laughs> I do. I do. I do. I'm going to go with 
Best speech. You like the speech at the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best speech. Of all of our love speeches that we're going to have, you think it's going to be the best speech? It really works me up because I think about the second best speech in our show so far, which is um, Julia Roberts and Notting Hill, mm. which is a very good emotional speech, mm-hmm. but it doesn't get me going. Right. This one gets me like, this is, yeah. This is what Sorkin does best is he gets you riled up and says, you can be your best self as well. Yeah. And I think this is the moment where we see Michael Douglas be his best self and Thank goodness Annette Benning also does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to get married, right? At the end of the movie. Uh, Not at the end of the movie, but continuing on. You know, I really like how the end of the movie, she's like, what do they say? It's like some of the weirdest lines where she's like, I didn't come back because you put a pr- you put through Bill 450. And he's like, I didn't put in Bill 450. To so get- do you come back? So you would come back. I'm like, this is weird romance. (laughs) I didn't decide to send 455 to the floor to get you back. And I didn't come back because you sent 455 to the floor. Speaking of weird romance, um, what I was going to save this for another section, but Annette Bening is... When he calls and asks her out on a date. Yeah. Right. And then she calls back and talks to him at the Oval Office. He asks her out and she says that it would be her honor to do this and she won't let him down. And, you know, she's going to be a proud American in <laughs> not accomplishing espionage. this. And he says it's not espionage. But the way she <laughs> reacts, it's like she doesn't know it's a date. Right. She's just like ah, I'm being honored by going to this dinner. But then when they're there together, she is like, well, this is a date. It's when he compliments her shoes. No, because he they talk about the date um, as they're going down the stairs right before he compliments her well, shoes. Well, you know, it's a date, but it's like, it's a, she's, she's it's a doing, formal date. She's doing that thing where she doesn't want to get too invested. She's like keeping herself from being, is that, is that why she's like, it'll be a great honor. That's a huge defense conversation. Yeah. yeah. Thing. She's, she's deflecting it. And just like, <laughs> that's, that's the high school, like the, the modern equivalent of what it felt like in high school to be like, Hey, do you want to go to prom with me? And somebody yeah, saying as friends, yeah, as friends, that sounds great. You're such a good friend. Uh, it's yeah. Like, but as friends. Okay. That's Great. exactly what I meant too. I'll pick you up at eight. Still got that prom date with my mom's car. Still got it. But I that's how I read it, is that she didn't want to get too caught up in it mm-hmm. and she was deflecting. And then when he complimented the shoes, taking his daughter's advice, and then when he started to dance with her, every time I watch characters in movies dance, I'm like, Ryan, you got to dance with your wife more. That's what she wants. <laughs> yeah, There's not a lot of opportunities right now, but gosh darn it, I got to take her dancing. We'll, we'll, we'll go find a place to dance. Um, like, when was the last time you danced in public with your wife? Oh, in public? Yeah. Oh, no one liked that. People, they were throwing garbage at me when I was doing it in public. <laughs> no, I. one of the most fun times was at someone's wedding. Would that be my wedding? No, no. I mean... I mean, that was recently, but I remember dancing with Sarah at this wedding and she was in heels and she was in this like little black dress and I was just, it was so much fun because I was just like basically like going for it. I'm like, I'm just going to spin you around the room and 
it was like I see now why she's why she likes dancing so much because we were just we're having a ball. Yeah, your place. You Sarah rented was, a house. Sarah out. was also six months pregnant. Yeah, couldn't at, do at it mine. there. Yeah. <laughs> and your we we were we basically cleared the room because you got this really nice house on the lake, uh, on the lake on the water. Where was it? Um, it was uh, it was on the bay. We we so. Just when Robin and I were going to get married, we were going to rent out this uh, small Airbnb for a couple of days. And th- three months from the wedding, the woman sold her house. All right, right. And so we had to like make do with like a- another house, and it's kind of on on the bay of yeah. the island. Yeah. Uh, and so we were all gathered, just crowded in this living room with the this big stereo, and we were all dancing to David Bowie but together. It was a big living room. That was yeah. so much fun. But yeah. I wouldn't be able to do like we had a full. We were able to do be in a ballroom and there's something about the wood in a ballroom that you can really spin your partner on oh yeah for sure well i mean the the floor gets waxed it's nice right smooth, yeah. so i could really like twirl her around and mm. it was it was fun cool. i, I want to go someone get married uh, i want to okay, go to a wedding again what i'm talking about though is like i mean they obviously so this ball scene right it's their first dance and it's a really cool moment because I, this is why I think that they are not only like really good physically with each other, but they complement each other yep. in a great way where she takes the moment to notice that the the French president mm-hmm. um, and his wife are just not having a good time. So she takes the opportunity to speak to them in French. Great. People love being spoken to in their native language. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about how like she she remarked that nobody was dancing which not only gets them involved in the conversation but gives him a hint and he is confident enough to take that hint and say i'm going to take you out and dance with you in front of all these people and it's just this this perfect maneuver that makes the two of them look good without trying super hard it's just i don't know that's that's what good couples do is they complement each other so well that you're like i want to hang out with you guys more yeah and it's this nice romantic gesture which is like it's something that there's something when we talk when we celebrate chivalry this is the moment we celebrate we don't we don't celebrate the other toxic things have that have come up with chivalry no we celebrate this when a gentleman sees I should be dancing with this lady. And he goes for it, takes her out, and there's just something so suave and just, I don't know, it's something I I want to aspire to. It's like, that is that is what a gentleman does. You th- okay, that's an interesting use of the word chivalry. Wouldn't you call it chivalric to, to take the lady out for a dance on the floor by yourself? <laughs> that's what I would call chivalric because it's like, oh, first ones. I mean, he's the president. He's got to be the first one. Yeah, I don't know. I think... Um, what would you call it, it? I mean, that would that would mean that it's like something... Because I think to be chivalrous is to like conduct yourself by a code of honor right? right we don't we don't really get to do that much we don't get to have like the chivalric knight in shining armor with the sword and you know the ladies up in the tower with the dragon hoarding her this is more of the modern day equivalency of you have a date the right thing to do is to go for it and to dance well, if in we're front actually, of people well if we're actually talking about a modern chivalry um which isn't just going to be um, you know, a man doing something for a woman, because I think that's like one of the things that we can probably leave behind in the past. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of taking a moment with your partner 
and saying, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the first vulnerable step. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably what you're getting at. Yeah, is like, that's exactly what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, modern chivalry means like um, taking taking the first step to be vulnerable in public for somebody else. Yeah, and I, I really related to that moment because I know Sarah loves to dance. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where it's like, man, if I was at a, a gathering like that, that would be the best thing that would be the best thing I could do for her in that moment is like, that's the biggest thing that she would be wanting to do. Sure. Yeah. 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 And I, I feel like that's what he does here. Yeah. But you know, if you're a guy who likes to dance, does it become non chivalric? Well, I don't know. He didn't seem, <laughs> the, he didn't seem the guy who'd be like, there should be dancing. Like sure, he, yeah. he didn't seem to be into the dancing as much as she was. And that's where I'm bringing this chivalry where he's like, I want to be close to you. I think the fact that she brings up dancing, it kind of intonates that. Yeah. Where he's like, I think it's more just like what a good partner should do in, in, in something where it's, it's, it's like somebody's hinting that they want to do something and you're like, you know what? I'm going to make that happen. Yeah. I, I call that chivalry. I, that's what I would, that's what I would call it. Um, well, I haven't given this a rom-com Oscar. We kind of got off the rails there. Maybe I should give it best chivalry instead. No, you gave it yours. <laughs> um, okay, so in in this genre, we don't really get dark very often, right? I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm looking at, we bought a zoo over there. <laughs> I mean, maybe when Ben Affleck shows up. In what way? What do I don't mean? know. I don't want to be there. <laughs> What? You don't like Ben Affleck? No, he's fine. Um, uh, But he was the Dark Knight. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, He was the Batman. He's the Batman. I'm Batman. And not the best Batman either. Sorry. Um, So we don't get that dark, but what... This this movie takes a moment to get dark, right? We we kind of get the stakes of the presidency when... This was this was a West Wing episode. Yeah. Um, basically he has to decide whether he's going to kill some people as a foreign power when like one of their, it wasn't an embassy that was attacked, but it was, it was something. Yeah. It was some kind of allied base or something. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, I have to blow up this place, which probably has some janitors working there right now. And so he's, he's like, this blood is going to be on my hands. Right. Yeah. And this incident, I, I just feel like Aaron Sorkin's like writing this like subplot. He's like, I'm going to take a note. TV show about <laughs> president who deals with daily struggles. Name Bartlett. <laughs> he just looks to this left. There's a pair. Bartlett. <laughs> Features, walks, and talks. <laughs> it happens in the West. Wait. West Wing. West, West Wing. West Wing. But they come back and they have a very serious conversation um, where, like, one, I think it's Leon is like, um, you know, you know, that was a really presidential thing for you to have done. And he's like, no, it wasn't. Like, that sucked. Mm-hmm. That was like the least presidential thing I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, which it's kind of both. And it's just like how people see the job. And this movie took the time to get really dark and not give me whiplash Mm -hmm. like it's it's kind of a magic trick of this genre if it can do that because 
if for some reason you go, and I think it's because of the stakes of it being set at the White House. So I'm going to give this movie best seatbelt because there was no whiplash. There was no whiplash at all. I, I went from happy to serious to in love to serious to happy again. And there was never any moment where I was like, that's great. Yeah. It makes me think of you've got mail where, uh, Meg Ryan is in Fox books after she's lost her shop and the people are looking for the book. Man, I almost cry every time. It's so good. And it's just, uh, just showing this person where they're at mentally and emotionally. And it's just taking a moment to just sit with it and be like, Mm -hmm. "Mm." And Rob Reiner's really good at that. He he takes times to sit with characters. Like even even the first couple scenes when they're having one of their first cabinet meetings and talking about the gun bill, when Michael J. Fox is like put down for the last time mm-hmm. and they're like basically like the conversation's over, we just linger on Michael J. Fox for like four seconds, which doesn't seem like a long time as I'm saying it, but in film shots in a conversation where it's not walking down a hallway, that's a long time to just linger on somebody's reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have our Oscars, but I want to know who would you love? Who do you love? Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is I loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, and love, and love you. I know. It's hard for me not to say Michael J. Fox. Oh, yeah, he's a fox. He, I, um... That apparently in, during this movie, this was like right after he found out he had Parkinson's mm. and everybody had to have a physical before the uh, actual thing. And he was like really trying to keep that under wraps. Um, and I just watched his uh, appearance in Scrubs today. Oh, and um, man, he's so good. He's really good. Like he's he's just one of my favorite, favorite actors. And I want to say again how he had a very small role in this movie, but he was good at it he really brought a lot of pathos to this character he felt like he brought so much more to the movie than would be required in a script Mm -hmm. like his role felt a lot bigger and i feel like they would have had i don't know there's scenes where none of the leads are with him like he has that freak out when he's talking to one of the senators right um and it's just like is did we are we in a west wing episode now yeah, it, it felt multidimensional like that. Yeah. Um, even though it's mainly about the shepherd. Um, <laughs> That's probably his, his the poster. It's like, stick with the shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> He'll get his flock to the place it needs to be. 20% less emissions. Hey, are you with the shepherd? I'm with the shepherd. Um, who's, got, who's got two thumbs and um, a shepherd's crook? This guy. This guy. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think, to be honest, I, uh, TBH, TBCH, the big, hmm? to be completely honest. Oh, okay. I think I'm going to go with Shepard. Shepard. He's charming. He's a good dad. He is kind of lazy when it comes to work sometimes because he wants to just hang out. I get that. Mm-hmm. But he's a, a noble, good guy. I'm going with Shepard. Good guy. Uh, I'm going with Sydney Ellen Wade. Mmm, Sydney Ellen Wade. She's spunky. She's very attractive. She's 
honest. She's, I don't know. She, she doesn't waver. She, you know, believes yeah. in things. She really calls. She she's soft about calling him on his BS at first, but then like goes harder on him later when she's like, you should do something about this. Yeah. Like she's, she's not going to just like pretend like everything's okay just because that's easier. Yeah. Yeah. So Sydney Ellen Wade, Sydney Ellen Wade, really great name too. Yeah, it is. Uh, what did you think of that moment where it's the very beginning and she's at the security gate and she's like, it's very Capra esque. And the lady with her is like, he doesn't know what it's kind of a saving the cat moment. Right. Uh yeah, but the the security guard is like I know who Frank Capra is. Yeah, he's and he like, takes he's like, like a Mrs. Good Smith goes to, to Washington. Do do you like that moment? Um, yeah, I mean, it just it kind of shows that she it immediately sets us up for she kind of has enough faith that people will understand her to be herself, mm-hmm. and so I think it's a good setup for her character. I, I want to take that moment as the last thing I want to say about the movie uh, and the comparison to Frank Capra. Yeah, because this is very Capra-esque. You know, you have the probably closest relative is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which stars Jimmy Stewart as a uh, do-gooder do-gooder guy from the Midwest. He, he's, a, he's basically a Boy Scout leader who eventually becomes a rep. And then filibusters in order to save some land that he was basically being used. And so it points out corruption in Washington, but it also shows like what the common man can do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, Frank Capra, I watched some of the Frank Capra movies in college, thanks to Professor Leonard Oakland. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's like, you should watch these. And I watched them and I was like, these are stupid, Leonard. What? Because <laughs> I watched... Um, I watched another. What about, like, it's a wonderful life. Well, no, he didn't make me watch that one. No, oh. he's like, you got to watch these ones that are more underseen. And I watched. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it, it's another similar film about, you know, people in power doing the right thing, and mm-hmm. it felt. When I was in college, I was wanting to watch more of the David Fincher, P.T. Anderson kind of movies that took more hard-hitting looks at things mm-hmm. and didn't, you know, was, I guess, more cynical. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's what Capra was the Sorkin before Sorkin was Sorkin, where yeah. if you're saying Capra-esque, a lot of the times what somebody means by that is cloyingly sweet, um, but... If you go back and watch Capra movies, even though he is an idealist, he's got a lot of darkness to him too. Yeah, the only I I rewatched It's like a Wonderful it Life. One night? Yeah. Well, great great fun. Great fun and it happened one night. And I rewatched It's a Wonderful Life for the Christmas season. Uh and I forgot how dark the film gets. Isn't it so dark? It's one of the darkest Hollywood films. Yeah, like the whole movie is like book uh, bookended by like basically suicide. Yeah. And it leans into it and it really made me go, you know, you are being a pretentious asshole in college, (laughs) Ryan, uh, because I don't think anybody would debate that you and I were both pretentious assholes in college. (laughs) That's what you do. And that's the thing about Frank Capra is that, yeah, it's very idealistic, but it doesn't pull its punches either. Mm. It really is saying, look, there's a lot of corruption out there, 
my movie is saying let's deal let's let's try and deal with it and it's not going to do it in a modest way it's it, it goes for it and right. it, and it feels kind of unrealistic but then it's again, unabashed movies are unrealistic yeah and it's not saying this is how it's gonna be it's just saying this, this is, is one this is the universe in which it does happen like this this is what we'd like it to be mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to digest in a post-trump era it was even harder to adjust to digest during the trump era and for the past four years i've been wanting to go back to the west wing but i would like turn on netflix and i would just kind of gym the camera i'm like no, no i think it's I, a i can't do it i think it's a good thing that we did this movie now right um, and I'm going to go revisit the West Wing. I'm probably going to start this spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, spring sound felt like a good time to do it. New president and like, you know, springtime is the time for awakenings. Yeah. And so I'm going to go back and dip my toes into that pool and I'm excited about it. Um, but you know, I, I don't want to say that Sorkin is the heir apparent to Capra-esque. Uh, I think he can be, but I think a filmmaker that is actually more Capra-esque and this has been incredibly true for the past 10 years of his career is Steven Spielberg. See, I knew you were going to go Spielberg. Uh, if you watch a movie like The Post, more more in The Post than in The American President do you have these moments that are like having these like, oh, moments of, you know, Meryl Streep is walking down the steps at the end of The Post and he very deliberately shows all these women literally looking up to her. Mm-hmm. And he, just just these movie moments where he's like, get it, get it? Like the press is so sacrosanct. Or like in Bridge of Spies, he's like, diplomacy is so sacrosanct. And it, it, I think, but, Sor- see, that's- like, I don't think we should <sighs> accuse Sorkin of like, you're Capra-esque. He's like, uh, if you're meaning that as like kind of a cynical like insult, uh-huh throw it at Spielberg because I like it in Spielberg. I still sure. like those movies, but it does feel, I, I kind of agree with you because the, the last 10 years of Spielberg has, they've not been my favorite years of Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, I have liked some of it, but um, like, and I like the post, mm-hmm. but it has leaned a little bit more into the, to the obvious. Yeah. Whereas if, if you watch the newsroom, it's very much like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's got a lot of idealism but it really does take the time to break its characters into real people and have them make mistakes and not get everything that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that level of realism is important. And I, f- I do feel like a lot of Spielberg's films recently have, they've kind of just been hero stories. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which isn't a bad thing. Like no. there's room for that, but um, you know, it's, it's less, like adventure and danger and um, like like wonder and it's more it's more pedestal work. It's dad rock. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of dad rock. Oh, you know, the only other character we didn't really talk about in this movie um, is Lucy. Yeah, we didn't really talk about Rumson, but Rumson, whatever. Um, Lucy, her whole thing is that she's not really enjoying um, her social studies work, right? She likes everything else, but social studies. And like her dad keeps kind of like harping on that. And then we kind of lose that thread, right? Yeah. Like nothing happens with it. And I, I wonder if in the script and they just didn't have room for it, but in the script, like Lucy, Lucy almost like maybe loses interest in it because she doesn't see her dad being inspirational in that way. And maybe she gets more interested in it after 
like his his big speech at the end or his decisions. I don't know. Like it, it feels like the the script had set up for her to not think politics is interesting either because she's surrounded by it all the time or because she doesn't have a good example right now or some, I don't, I don't know. It, it just seemed like a thread that was pulled and then they just left it and the sweater stayed together. Uh, it's kind of like, I think what they were getting at is president Shepard just wants people to see him like a normal guy. And the only person in his life is his daughter. Who sees him like a normal guy. And it would be cool to see at the end of this movie, like she figures out how to do both, that she can see him as her dad, but then can also see him as the president and gets inspired. Uh, Every dad's dream. Yeah. (laughs) I'm the king. But sees him in a new light and kind of sees America in a new light of Mm. like, wow, you know, obviously she's the most privileged person in the country. Yeah. Uh (laughs) But- it could be that like stand in for like, you know, young people just seeing like things are possible. Sure. So I, I think, I think they were halfway there. Yeah, I agree. I just, it was one of those things that I was like, like three quarters of the way, maybe four fifths of the way through the movie. I could have seen like another scene with the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think we have another plan. Like we've, we've kind of strayed away from our randomness. Maybe we'll get it back after, um, our, our anniversary, but we have a movie that we have very much planned to watch. Do you remember what it is? Okay. So next week in the timeline that you guys are listening to, not our timeline, which we're on a separate we're, Christopher we're, Nolan we're in, timeline. Yeah, we're in the uh, Ryan and Kelly verse. Uh, but the, we got our special Valentine's Day episode dropping. It's our first Valentine's Day, and we've decided that- Ryan, the, what'd you get me? The tradition for Valentine's Day on this podcast is we're going to do things a little differently, and we're going to do our first bromantic comedy. Bro. Hey, bro. 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 To celebrate- hey, Yo, Covey. Wait. Yes. I, I would love to have a bromantic comedy between him and that Trevor dude. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> we're doing bromantic comedies on Valentine's Day. Uh, From and here in and on. Because uh, in Parks and Rec, Leslie Nope does Galentine's Day, mm-hmm. uh, where she celebrates her gal pals. We're going to do... Bralentine's Day. We're going to do bro time. We're going to do bromantic comedies as a symbol for the love between me and Kelly. Yeah. So that love which you hear about at the end of every podcast is going to be represented this week by I love you, man, because I do. I really, I love really you, do. I love you, man. And you know, it's Paul Rudd, Jason Segel. Can't wait to talk about it with you. You introduced me to that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a special place in my heart right next to you. Oh, there you are. Look at me. Uh, yeah. So, uh, bro, next week, uh, I can't wait to say, I love you, man. I love you too. Uh, bro. Tell me, where can people find us? Oh, they can find us on um, the social medias at Romcom Gents, Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for all the people that have been rating on Apple Podcasts. That's super nice of you. Nobody else has left a review um, besides that that person that left a couple weeks ago. But you know, we've been getting some more ratings. And Leave us a Valentine. Just write a just a yeah, little review. Just just a nice romantic. Like if you want to imagine the stars as hearts, you go right on ahead. You're do you're yeah. you're doing better than you think you are. What is what does he say? <laughs> Just Jude Law, Jude Law, Jude Law, Jude Law, Jude Law. Uh, but yeah, give us a, give us a little five star review. We would we would love that. We would love you for that. Yeah. You want some of this love? You want some of this bromance? 
Give us a five star. Jump in on the bromance. Um, You can also send us an email. uh, Romcomgents at gmail.com is that particular address. Don't worry. You won't have to go through like somebody like Mr. Shepard's secretary or anything. Like just just straight to us. We don't have a secretary. And we will take your vote and, you know, we will consider putting your bill through. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I'd say as long as it's good and kind and full of love or even a little bit of lust, we'll put it through. We'll put it through. Um, Ryan, um, did you notice the secretary's computer that was in the desk? It was like a science fiction thing. Isn't that cool? There's like glass over it and she just looked into her desk and it's like, there's a little computer there. Man, you know, instead of flowers, he needs to get her for her birthday like a, a nice neck brace. Some, something, <laughs> yeah. some, one of those things that you can heat up in the microwave that's full of seeds. Oh, mm. Mm. well, love you, bro. See you oh, next week. I love you too, bro. <laughs> bro, Covey, yo, Covey, I love you. <clears throat> and this is where we will say oh, goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Subscribe, we'll even take a bribe So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide To rom-coms